This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week are two amazing people, Kara Shamborski. Hey. And Kate Lamphere. Hi. I got your names right this time. Huzzah! <laughs> Thank you both for being with me this week. I'm so excited to talk to both of you about comic books and our awesome topic of the book of the month from our Goodreads group. But before we get to all that, let me ask the question I ask every single week. How have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Kara. I've been great. Our own audio wizard, Xander, helped me become an audio wizard uh, at my place of work because we needed to set up a microphone configuration and nobody knew what they were doing. And I was like, excuse me, but I podcast on the weekends and so I might have an idea. (laughs) That's awesome. So it made me look good and it was great. (laughs) Well, thank you, Xander. We appreciate all that you do for us. Yeah, in terms of comics, I am super hyped to see Avengers Infinity War. Uh, By the time this airs, I will have seen it. And I realized in preparation for seeing it that I had not actually gotten around to seeing Spider-Man Homecoming. (gasps) So I rented it on Amazon and watched it Friday night. And basically the entire time I was talking back at my screen. So I'm watching this thing by myself. And basically every time Peter Parker did anything, I was like, oh no, PD. <laughs> so, <laughs> so sure if someone was watching it with me, they would have been super annoyed with me because like everything he did, I was like, oh honey, no. <laughs> and he was basically... But- but that's a perfect. good Spider-Man, right? Yeah, right? he was like the perfect Spider-Man. I was just like, oh, Petey, and I just wanted to give him a hug. <laughs> <laughs> he was so good. So ready. Uh, in terms of comics this week, uh, so I really wanted to re-watch Edge of Tomorrow, and then I wasn't feeling too keen on having to pay for it to rent because I couldn't figure out if it was streaming anywhere. And then I realized right. that my library had the manga that it's based on which is called all you need is kill yeah and i realized i hadn't actually read the manga so it's a it's a pretty hefty chunk of of a book and it's like the basic premise is the same as the film but i realized this is one of those rare instances where i actually like the film a lot better than i liked the written and drawn version that it was based off of. Yeah. So the film Edge of Tomorrow uh, came out a few years ago starring Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And the basic shtick of it is there's these aliens on Earth trying to kill everyone. And Tom Cruise is part of this fighting force who's fighting against them. And after killing one of these creatures one day, he he wakes up but it's the morning of the day of the fight that already happened. And he realizes that he's trapped in a 24 hour time loop. Mm -hmm. And Emily Blunt's character is also a fighter in this group. And one time she realizes that he's in this loop and there's just a really intense moment where she's like, find me when you wake up. And is he like, he wakes up the next day after dying. So he's died every single day for like, I don't even know, like 50 or 100 days. And they find, and they are like, you're realizing how this whole thing works and how they can use it to defeat this enemy. And it's very well done. And it's one of my favorite action movies of the last decade. Oh, yeah. And the manga is 
that same premise, but a wildly different aesthetic and attitude. Like this is, it's very heavy on the male gaze. There's like multiple female characters and all of them are there to be eye candy. So while I was reading it, it was difficult for me because the reason I like the movie so much is because Emily Blunt is such a badass in it. And it's very much her story as much as it is Tom Cruise's. Mm -hmm. But the manga version is very like, here's a slow pan up this like sexy woman's body. And I'm going to like long after this girl who I've idealized from afar. And, and her story is much less integral to the plot. And like the end is kind of the end is much darker than I remember the movie being. Um, And I just like, I really like what they did with the movie. I think that the manga is a good read and the art is just super detailed and the creatures look super creepy and all these mechs are beautifully illustrated, but I just couldn't get over things like the girl who works in the army canteen is dressed in like this super mini skirt and this like tied belly shirt (laughs) Like her entire torso is exposed, and I'm like, "You're working in an industrial kitchen. You are begging for an oil burn. Like this would never happen." <laughs> I know you're just here for sex appeal, and it's really bothering me. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, it's definitely worth a read, especially if you liked the movie or like this kind of alien mech shoot 'em up situation. Right. Uh, but yeah, like I said, not totally what I was expecting. Interesting. I've this book is it's been in my like comicsology library for years <laughs> so maybe maybe i'll actually try to tackle this i've i've always wanted to and I, I realize yeah with that in mind i at least i have a i'm prepared to go in with this there's going to be a lot of objectification but overall <laughs> maybe try it yeah good to know how about you kate how have you been how have comic books been i've had a cold but otherwise i've been pretty good yesterday brian and i went out to this uh international tabletop event yeah. hosted by our local comic book shop at a movie theater and then we went and saw the new avengers movie right after that nice so that was pretty great i actually won a raffle and a whole bunch of games that were published by grand gamers guild and i'm really excited to check those out wait like you you won a bunch of actual board games yeah like they that's awesome raffles like you got a raffle card when you walked in uh, a raffle ticket and they i think they had three giveaways and i i won one of them and i got probably half of the games that this small publisher puts out Whoa. so i'm pretty excited <laughs> yeah in terms of comics um i read venomized number one runaways seven and eight and then the heart of thomas which i found at the library mm-hmm. and it's it was uh 516 pages <laughs> so it's huge oh. but i read it in just a couple of days it's a manga by by moto hagio and it was written around 1974 and it's it's about these boys at a boys boarding school and it has a lot of themes about like sexuality and trauma and and guilt and those were themes that aren't that weren't written about when this was first published first put out it deals with homosexuality so that was a a big no-no back then and -hmm. it was published in english in 2013 by fantagraphics so this has been out for quite a while 
Um, I, I like this book, although it was a little disjointed. I couldn't quite follow who was who for the first half of the book. It's black and white, and there's not a whole lot of of gray shading in it. So although it mentions this character's hair is, is blonde and this character's hair is brunette, I wasn't really sure which character it was because it was in gotcha. black and white. Mm-hmm. And that was important to the plot knowing who was who because what happens is that a student named Thomas commits suicide at the opening of the book and then another student shows up who apparently looks just like him except that his hair is brown so wait (laughs) that seems like needlessly complicated yeah uh it was pretty it was pretty good it was really interesting I don't know that I've ever read anything quite like this because what happens is that there's a, there's a couple of students that had had issues with Thomas, like had attractions to him, or he'd uh, he'd admitted that he was attracted to them. Um, so all these other students are kind of using this new transfer student as a stand-in for dealing with all these issues, and of course the transfer student is not Thomas. So this is a whole problem in itself. Huh. So it was it was an emotional roller coaster. <laughs> I bet. Uh, but it's pretty good. I, I'm I'm glad that I picked up this gigantic book. <laughs> and it's it's all just one big contained story then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think it took two years in in chapters when it first came out to get through everything. Um, mm-hmm. There's quite a few, I guess, what would we'd consider single issues contained in it. But yeah, you can just find it as one big collected edition. That's awesome. Uh, well, for me this week, I, I want to point out that we've all read manga or we're all talking about manga this week um, because I read I read Monster Volume 3, which is a continuation of the other Monster Volumes that I've been reading. I read Giant Days Volume 7, which has a fantastic shot that I took a picture of and put it on Instagram. Uh, Maxwell's Demons Number 2, Saga Number 49, and I also read this manga by Kyoko Okazaki called Pink. Um, yes. This... This is a great book. I was very surprised by it. Um, but like I said, I'm surprised the three of us, we decided to all focus on manga this week, which I think is really cool um, for a comic book show. So I'm sorry for you non-manga readers out there. You got to catch up. This shit's really good. But Pink, yeah, th- this was recommended to me by a coworker, and she she like basically forced the books and book into my hand. She said, you have to read this. It's her book. And um, I should say she owns the book. And I didn't think I was going to like it, but I was like, I'll give it a try. It's pretty short. The chapters are really short. Um, but the story focuses on this this character named Yumiko, and she is a an office girl by day. Or she works in an office by, by day, and she's kind of like just an assistant. And by night, she's also a call girl. And the, the what was really interesting about the book to me was that how like unashamed and unabashed like non bashful this character is about everything that she does. Um, she owns she has a pet crocodile that lives in her tiny Japanese apartment with her. Um, she has a younger sister and she has an issue with her stepmother. And there, there's just a lot of like interesting themes that happen, but everything is very in your face. It's very blunt. It's very like obvious about everything. Nothing. There's no real major hidden meaning behind anything that any of the characters are doing. Um, and it was really easy to read because of that. Like every single thing and story beat was basically told to you in a way that didn't make you feel dumb. I don't, I don't know. It was so just in your face about everything that it was doing. There was no shame. Everything was very 
casual like when these characters are talking about food when these characters are having sex with each other when you know they're going on massive shopping sprees to get in debt or um at one point yumiko doesn't have any money so she goes out and she you know finds five guys to you know have sex with or whatever as clients in one night so that she can have money for food and all this other stuff to take care of herself and her younger sister it's a really interesting story that i did not expect like the art style is very interesting and the ending was so just abrupt, but it wasn't bad. It it was ultimately, if you, reading the whole book, like the ending, the way that they go with it, or the way that, you know, Kyoko Okazaki went with it, it was so blunt and simple, it kind of made sense for the whole book. But I think on the whole, if you were to read this in any other book, you probably wouldn't like it, but it fits the way that they end this. So I was really blown away by this. I actually grabbed a copy. I picked up a copy of this book. I liked it so much. So yeah, highly recommended Pink by Kyoko Okazaki. Yeah. Really interesting stuff. I read Pink a couple years ago because it was similarly recommended to me. And I think I read it on a recommendation list also. So yeah, uh, I got myself a copy and I agree. It's a very refreshing book in its directness. Like sometimes mm-hmm. it's nice to not have a million dramatic subplots going on. Yeah. And I love the crocodile. Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> well, the crocodile who wears glasses. <laughs> <laughs> all the time i mean yeah i think that's that's great the the a great way to put it carol it's very direct and it's that is very refreshing sometimes so i highly recommend this book yeah i couldn't couldn't believe how much i liked it in the end um i i read through it in about probably two sittings so maybe maybe an hour and a half total or something um it's very simple to read and it's not very long highly recommend it but yeah let's let's move on to comic books that are coming out comic books are released on May 2nd, 2018. Let's talk about what we're excited about. Let's start with you, Kate. I'm excited for Coda number one. It's the newest series by Cy Spurrier, and he's writing it with Matthias Bergara. Mm-hmm. Art is by Jay Lee and June Chung, and it's published by Boom Studios. I really liked Cry Havoc by Cy Spurrier a while back, but I haven't oh, yeah. been super impressed with any of his things recently. And he had... Um, worked with another writer on Cry Havoc. So that's why I'm excited for Coda. I think that working with somebody else might might lend itself to what I like about his work mm-hmm. um, a little more. And I think his world building is excellent. And this world is post-apocalyptic in a, in a fantasy world where the magic is almost gone. And it revolves around a former bard that's traveling with a mutant unicorn. <laughs> This is, shut up, Kate. You're already selling <laughs> Go <goodness>. on. <laughs> and the plot summary says that he's out to find his wife's soul, which was stolen. What? Yeah. Is, I think I've played this D&D game before. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm planning to pick pick number one up this week. Well, let me know how it goes. This, I, I'm so mad that this sounds so interesting. Fantasy is like a huge genre right now in terms of, books that i'm gonna read and almost every fantasy book that i see i pick up i'm resisting this one (laughs) i've read the the previews pages that are online right now twice so i need to read the first issue dang good to know what about you kara what what are you excited for this week real quick two things red sonia and tarzan number one by gail simone walter giovanni (laughs) and adam hughes just because (laughs) i am a sucker for terrible mashups like yeah. I don't, I don't care. Uh, I will, 
I will try almost any mashup at least once just because they're always so ridiculous and so much fun. And we all know we're there just to see these two characters or three characters in the same book. So, you know, Red Sonja and Tarzan, especially if Gail Simone is writing it, like, yeah, I'll give that a shot. That will probably, oh, it, yeah. it will probably involve some kind of like, like Gail Simone writes Red Sonja to be very, uh, very direct in terms of her fighting, but also her sexuality. So I'm mm-hmm. just going to go ahead and assume that she's going to be making lewd comments to Tarzan and Tarzan's just going to be really confused the whole time. <laughs> this is, this is my, my prediction. Um, I love it. I am also excited that Marvel is re-releasing the star Wars tag and bank stories in a new collected edition. Uh, oh. Tag and Bink had a few miniseries when Dark Horse had the Star Wars license, and they're essentially the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern of the comics universe, or for a more pop culture friendly reference, kind of like the um, uh, oh god, the two old face? guys from the Muppets. No, 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 no. What am I thinking of? Uh, the Tom Hanks movie where he's everywhere and doing everything. Forrest Gump. Thank you. Oh, okay. <laughs> So kind of like two Forrest Gumps in one. They're they're there at the periphery for every major event in the Star Wars universe, but they're making <laughs> terrible choices and goofing off, and it, they're they're absolutely by accident. And it's very much a comedy story, okay. and uh, I very much enjoyed all of the stories that were written about them. So it's nice to see them getting celebrated once more. Do you know if these are being changed at all from the original printing? I I don't know actually. Um, I have the, the original one. I the haven't solicit, read it yet. <laughs> the solicit says that it's it's collecting um, the issues that were previously released. So I guess things don't really have to be tweaked that much. It's very original trilogy focused. Okay. So that, and maybe they'll release it under their, whatever they're doing, Star Wars Legacy or however they're or legends, however they're categorizing it. Anyway, so tag yeah. and bank. If you like Star Wars and laughing and seeing things from a new perspective, <laughs> tag and bank. That's that's a great <laughs> that's a great tagline. I like that. If you like Star Wars and laughing, get this book. <laughs> <laughs> so that's most people. I actually recently yeah. realized that I'm friends with an alarming number of people who do not like Star Wars, which since huh. it's such an integral part of everything that I am, this is like blowing my mind. I'm like, how did we become friends? But it's just showing me that <laughs> you can be friends with people and they don't have to like all the same things as you. This is very true. Very true. What's your pick, Mike? Well, for me this week, I'm excited for a book that will surprise no one. Rogue and Gambit number five is coming out this week by Kelly Thompson, Pierre Perez, and Frank D'Amarta. This is a very obvious pick for me because it's Rogue and it's Gambit. And I think this is the final issue of the series. I'm an issue behind, so I don't know exactly what's happening. But nonetheless, just seeing the Chris Anka cover um, brings happy tears to my eyes because his covers have been the absolute best. Like, I would love to get full-on prints of these and hang them on the no space that I don't have on my walls here at my apartment. But... um, they're they're so gorgeous. Uh, I and this book has been fantastic. It, I think Kelly Thompson has dove in, has dove really deep on the continuity and the history between Rogue and Gambit in order to tap into this series. And if you haven't read it, 
basically Rogue and Gambit are infiltrating a mutant hating love spa. Mm-hmm. And naturally, it's for couples. <laughs> yeah, you, of course. Why not? Uh, be so. Basically, the idea is that there is this couples counseling spa, tropical area thing in the, the Florida Keys or something like that. And so they have to infiltrate it because supposedly there's also some like a lot of mutant couples have gone to this and have disappeared. Dun dun dun. And so they have to discover what the mystery is. But meanwhile, they're actually getting couples counseling, and it's very very good like for the both of them and i honestly think that they might walk out of this series with their relationship mended which is totally crazy because they've been apart for so long and stop me before i get too deep into this rabbit hole but um mike this, why it, do you like them as a couple because it's oh it's it, the reason i like them as a couple is they both know that there is this extreme amount of passion between them, but it's so much that it destroys their relationship every time they're together, right? It's it's like that that classic, like, there's too much passion in the relationship. Therefore, every time they actually try to make it work, it falls apart a hundred times over. Um, and it to me, that is the like the, a really attractive story to read because I know, like, in my heart of hearts, maybe this next time they can make it work. I think that's the, it's that thing that people get into in actual real life relationships after they've been on and off with somebody for a really long time. Maybe this time it'll work. Um, but it's fiction and in fiction, maybe they actually can make it work. Um, maybe something can, you know, one of them can compromise in one way or another. Um, and I think the things that always break them apart are, are not necessarily their, the passion for each other, but they're the external pieces of their lives that, try to in that basically come in and inject themselves into their relationship because they're integral pieces of their lives for instance gambit being part of the thieves guild and later a part of the assassins guild question mark and that's not really something that rogue wants him to be a part of you know rogue's whole thing of you know i can't touch you now i can touch you oh well when we weren't together i you know was with magneto or i was with some other character and and gambit is the most jealous person in the world despite the fact that he spends all of his time flirting with tons and tons of women it's it's like a very broken character aspect thing and and all seeing all of that clash and and work and not work is like the most amazing thing for me you know you constantly wish for your your otps to to live happily ever after but i think what makes a good story is when they can't make it work or when they really have to try to make it work um yeah (laughs) does that answer your question kind of i still think they're, I don't know. I just think they're both terrible, so maybe they're perfect for each other. But it, it's totally true. Yeah. Um, Mike, have I made you read Rogue Touch yet? I don't think so. <laughs> uh, Rogue Touch is the one of the short-lived but glorious Marvel like young adult adult romance books that they did. And oh no! Rogue <laughs> Touch is all about Rogue, and it's terrible and you have to read it because it's all it's from what i remember because i read it a few years ago now she falls in love with this guy and it turns out he's an alien from the future (gasps) and you need to read it it's it's so it's so bad it's good (laughs) i love it this okay you pretty at this point anything that has rogue or gambit in it i will read yeah like i'm I'm that much of a sucker for both of those characters (laughs) You need to read this, and I need you to live tweet it so we can all follow along with your reactions. Because you got it, you're you're gonna freak out. I will find this and I will read it. That I can guarantee you this. This is a this is a great quest you've put me on, Kara. Thank you so much. 
It has less than a three-star rating on Goodreads. Just warning you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Good. Yeah. You know what you're getting into. Feed me this diseased cake. <laughs> As we said at the top of the episode, this is a Goodreads Book of the Month episode. So this week we are talking about the voted on winner of our Goodreads group, Pretty Deadly Volume 1, The Shrike by Kelly Sue DeConnick, Emma Rios, and Jordi Belair. Before we get this started, I want to give you a warning, full spoilers for this whole volume. So if you haven't read it, press pause, go read it, come back, press play, listen to the rest of this episode. One thing to say that before we start, we do also have a Q&A episode coming up on May 16, so make sure to send over your questions to us at ircb at destroythesive.org or on Twitter using the hashtag ircbqa. And one other small thing, you may have seen this if you're on the Goodreads group, but we have a zine coming out on the same day as our Q&A episode. So if you want to read some extra cool stuff, some little essays, some like fun little diagrams and comics and stuff like that that we've all put together, plus some commissioned art that we may have gotten, make sure to check out the zine on our website, ircbpodcast.com on May 16. We're going to be plugging it for the next couple weeks so you don't forget, but that's coming. And if you're very lucky, you can get one of the very, 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 very limited print copies that I will be having made (laughs) and delivered to my apartment. So keep all that in mind over the next couple weeks. Let's actually start talking about this Goodreads book, Pretty Deadly, Volume 1, The Shrike. Kara, Kate, what did you both think? This is the third or fourth or maybe even fifth time that I've been through this volume of Pretty Deadly, and I love it, but I have no idea what's going on. So this is definitely, for me, an experience book over a I, I get it book. So which is weird for me, because usually with stories, I... I, I pride myself in general of being able to watch something that's nonlinear or read something that's jumping around and being able to put all the pieces together by the end. But that has just never clicked for me for Pretty Deadly. But I love it despite that because it just feels like a dream. Um, everything from the way the pages are laid out to the poetic storytelling narrative underlying the whole thing it just feels like you're it like reading it feels like dreaming almost so i'm almost okay with not knowing what's going on because it's more about the experience and getting into the beautiful art and kind of letting the poetry of the legend narrative sweep you along yeah i can i can totally understand that i think the feeling of being in a dream is a really accurate description of how this book works um but before I guess I'd, before I dive into my whole thought about this, Kate, what did you think? This is the first book I've read by Kelly Sue DeConnick or Jordi Belair. What so, were the names that you thought they were before? I just want I just want to get this on <laughs> on tape. So I thought Jordi was Jody, so that's okay. a normal thing to mistake. But I thought sure, sure. Kelly Sue DeConnick was Kelly Sue Draconic, as in dragon-like. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she would appreciate that. Yes, yes. So I was really excited to read a book by this draconic person, and then I was disappointed <laughs> when I opened the title page. That's okay. Her last <laughs> name is still pretty cool. Yeah, so I'm excited to read more of their work, um, independently or together. I don't mm-hmm. know if they work together on anything else. 
like Kara, I was pretty lost. I had to go back and reread the book or re-skim the book really to try to put all these like puzzle pieces together. Mm-hmm. And I think that second, like reading it page to page slowly and then going back and like skimming through it to see how everything connected was really beneficial. There's still a lot of questions <laughs> and I'm I'm happy to see volume two on Hoopla now. So yeah. I'm going to be reading that probably tonight to try to figure out the rest of the story. I don't know if there's a third volume or not. Um, Somebody in our Goodreads group actually made a really good comment about this. Danny said the last issue makes a really good job of bringing all the pieces together and wrapping what seemed to be a pretty intricate story. So I'm excited to finish the series (laughs) to figure everything out. Well, what's, what's interesting about this book is I've, I've read it, you know, two or three times. I think this is the third time I've read it. I read it twice when it was initially coming out, right? Like I read it month to month. And then when it was all done, I think probably six months after that, I read it again. And it, the first time I read it, I like, didn't like it. Like I, I read issue two and I was like, I'm fucking done with this book. And, but I, I kept reading it, right? Like I, I wanted to give this book the benefit of the doubt that like it's all going to wrap up because it didn't seem like a full serialized story. It seems like a graphic novel, right? Like it, it feels like there it's it could just be page to page. You didn't need to break and didn't need to serialize it. But that's a whole other conversation about the comic book industry, which we've talked about multiple times. But so nonetheless, like reading it all in one big go, I think after I read issue two, um, I waited for the whole series to come out, then reread the entire thing. Six months later, I think I read it again. And this is the so this is like the third time that I've read it. And being the third time and having so much time between my last read read and this and this read, um, I didn't remember every detail, but I had a lot more appreciation for the foreshadowing that's kind of in the book in in the fairy taleness of the book um ultimately i don't know if i necessarily love this book but i don't hate it like i used to um i i see like the the amount of work that goes into it and trying to make it a fairy tale-esque story um i think it's unfortunate that it it the ending felt so abrupt to me because um the ending could have been another two issues summing up some of the plot points a little bit more elegantly i don't i don't know if if that if you guys got that feeling either as well but it seems like everything just kind of came together at the end and then it was over that was kind of a bummer to me that's one of the reasons that i think it was really good to go back and kind of re-skim through the book because in that last panel you see the bunny skeleton and the butterfly with with the girl that got into the the afterworld (laughs) question mark oh wait what the bunny and the, oh, man. And the butterfly <laughs> that like narrated the entire yeah. the entire story basically yeah yeah i was trying to figure out throughout this book if the bunny was actually some like like rebirth of death the death character throughout the book right and the bunny was alice because she like disintegrates into butterflies at a, at a few different points so i was trying to like come up with the the metaphors like between the narrator and then the story but mm-hmm. whether or not they're the same characters, I for now, I don't think it matters. It might come into play later on in the series. But in that last panel, when the, when the volume is wrapping up, you see them. So I, after skimming through this again, I, was, I had this cr- chronology in my head that the story happens. Mm-hmm. And then you get the bunny and the butterfly. And it's after this that you 
that, that their story happens. Right. Well, I mean, I think, you know, the, the story of <laughs> the bunny and the butterfly having the conversation, you know, they're telling this fairy tale to each other or they're talking about this story. I, I never, I guess I never pieced together what their relationship was to the story. But if that's the case, that clears up my concern with them. <laughs> yeah, and I think I, so that, that kind of goes to show like there is a lot to unpack with this book and whether or not you like it, I think that it, the credit is should be given to you know Kelly Sudeikonik and Emma Rios and Jordi Belair for putting together this what seems to be like a very layered book. I I think like there was some I, I have some problems with just kind of how some of the dialogue worked together as well. But like these are like nitpicking. Like I'm picking at little things to try to say this is what I didn't like about it. But I I think overall like it's not a bad book. I just don't think it's a book that really heavily resonates with me. If you had to summarize it, how would you summarize it, like plot-wise? Or like, how would you pitch this book to somebody who hasn't read it yet? I, I think the I think the way that I would describe it to someone is a an action fairy tale that exists in a realish Western world that plays on plays with the idea of death as an actual character. Like it's, I, I don't know. I feel like my my summary of this book would be, it would have to be complex or it would have to be like hinting at Just things read it. before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard. It's hard book to describe. I, I don't think I could accurately summarize it without spending a lot of time thinking about it. Like I'd have to actually sit back and go, how do I put this all into two to three sentences? Um, I don't think I can do it off the top of my head. So shortly after the first few issues of Pretty Deadly were published, uh, the company Black Phoenix Alchemy Lab released a line of perfumes. Oh, really? Based There's a bunch of perfumes, each perfume uh, created with a specific character from the book in mind. And the more I think about it, the more I think that is possibly the only accurate medium for interpretation for this kind of story. <laughs> because fragrance is a really evocative medium more than... Uh-huh a direct or specific medium. So in interpreting the characters as as f- notes in a fragrance, I thought was possibly the most effective way to describe them as characters because oh, sure. it is such a surreal, like dreamlike fantasy fairy tale where you're not quite sure what's happening, but you have the gist of what's happening and you have, like I, I could not tell you the specific like like while reading this book the first time i remember um not understanding death's role in everything very firmly but liking Mm -hmm. her as a character nonetheless and everything just kind sort of seems slightly out of reach i i think it's interesting that you personify death as a woman because I didn't, I personified death as a man, but I think that that was, I think that was intentionally left up to debate because there, there is no clear, I don't think there's a, like any clear gendering on the character, but I mean, mm-hmm. there doesn't have to be. Um, I, I think it's, there is like a heavy implication that it might be a man, but I don't think that it necessarily has to be. That's really interesting. Sorry to hear you say that. Maybe we all just see ourselves in death. That, well, and that's the <laughs> thing that I was also going to get to. Like, I, maybe, you know, you, you're manifesting yourself as death, which is a whole other thing. I mean, I literally went in, in a costume as death one time. So, I mean, 
maybe I'm attached to it. I've I have cosplayed as that character despite, you know, how I may feel about the book. I feel like reality is I mean, it's sort of a fairy tale story, but I feel like reality is kind of malleable in this book because speaking of death, it says in the comic that death um, has a romance with a woman and then death gets pregnant. So that's like Right, 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 right. That's a suggestion that the death's gender is like really maybe it's not even a gender that we have a name for or sure. like like gender roles for. But then I also thought that death really took on the warden aspect of the husband because he becomes the the person who's imprisoning Alice. Mm-hmm. So I feel like maybe he didn't um maybe death didn't start at with with necessarily a gender but then after death's heartbreak he takes on more male aspects i feel like is my my interpretation of the the role of death yeah i think there there's a lot of fluidity there like and and to go along with what you were saying about the like fluctuation of reality um i think as to the discussion of this is kind of like a dreamscape world because the the where death and you know or where death resides and you know in this in this tower or outside of reality like it doesn't there is no like firmness to or border to where those two things where, where they where they lie and i think it's interesting like as the book goes on you get to closer and closer to the end of the book you see the i feel like you see more and more of everything falling apart like in the beginning of the story everything's in very square panels um and that's intentional and by the end of the book you get more fluid layouts and you get like especially the last couple scenes you know you end up with death face Ginny facing everything and she's walking through various pieces of of scenery um if i'm, if I'm rem- remembering it correctly and i think like that that barrier between reality and fantasy and life and death and this world and the next world or wherever death may lie i think that's that's a really interesting aspect to the story, you know, like to, to see the way that Emma Rios was able to kind of subtly slide you through that without really making a grand, like, okay, now, you know, or make a, a grand show of uh, here is the solid reality world versus here is the fantasy un- unreality world. Um, I don't think I noticed that until like my second or third read through, like that the pages were actually shifting. And of course, reading it digitally, I was reading it, you know, panel to panel using the guided view but i think this book definitely needs to be read full page view and whatever you potentially can do or you need to be able to see the full page to really embrace what's happening every single page um especially in the last few issues yeah i think um i had another thought about death and the the man that he sort of he almost swaps places with the story of of the main man in the book mm-hmm. because bet- between being like the person who is who imprisons another person <laughs> the jailer the jailer thank you i'm like trying to com- come up with a word um <clears throat> so between being alice's jailer and kind of refusing to be self-aware of being this this abuser i think that death almost becomes uh, more human <laughs> oh yeah in the book i definitely agree yeah, and there's something mentioned about death as as a character is born and then dies and then another death takes takes his place. And I have to wonder if the death the the death of death in this book is is becoming human. 
oh man see and this blew my mind (laughs) yeah i was gonna say this is where like the whole you can unpack this book quite a bit is really interesting um i think like there was um there was i don't know like again this is where i'm 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 torn on the book because i don't necessarily think that i like i love it but i don't think i hate the book you know i i do appreciate the amount of thought and like the amount of time probably put into this story in order to make something complex that is at first glance it's pretty easy to read and it feels like a flat story but i think the more you think about it and if you do a second reread you know or a third reread or whatever you know you can pull more and more out of this book as you start to become familiar with the basics of the story structure then you start to see where the actual complexities come in and you think well maybe that wasn't just death dying maybe that was death becoming alive you know and that's that's a whole other thing you know kind of what you were talking about kate yeah and then that kind of relates back to the bunny and the butterfly baby being like a rebirth of alice and death mm-hmm. the original death in the story sure which maybe wasn't even the original death it was right. just one incarnation of death right yeah that's a good way to put it so i have to wonder if basically these characters die and they get reborn in in the afterlife to like try to make up for their mistakes and that's Mm -hmm. how you have a completely different relationship between the bunny who could be death and the butterfly who could be alice yowza (laughs) so basically i just need to finish the series is what i'm saying well and i I, the thing about volume two is i don't know if it actually connects back to volume one but i've heard that it but i who knows i mean there may be larger themes in place that do connect it back to one even if the primary story in volume two doesn't isn't like a a direct continuation of the story but i have so many questions i read volume two a while ago and i think i didn't reread volume one beforehand okay and the the plot of number of volume two is uh pretty separate from this one but i remember reading it and having it feel familiar and that they were hearkening back to characters and things that happened in volume one um but but again i would want to reread them both back to back again just to double check that but the sense was this is familiar and i should probably understand more of this gotcha so maybe there's just enough puzzle pieces to answer some of my questions in volume two Mm -hmm. potentially yeah i think you know, I mean, in the story was one thing. I think the art really helped sell this sell this book in a lot of ways. I think Emma Rios drew a lot of people to the book in the first place. You know, like her, the way she she draw draws a lot of stuff is is spectacular. Like her her art style is amazing, and I think it it worked in every aspect of this story. I know, like from the Goodreads group, Robert said, you know, it took a bit to get a handle on the plot, but that might be by design. You know, colors have a lot of orange, which evokes the sepia tone of old timey photos, which helps set the mood as a quote unquote Western. And I totally agree, like the the Western vibe is very apparent, you know, <laughs> in this book. And but I think like the color work that that Jordi Belair did throughout from beginning to end is as expected as per usual as you know the standard Jordi Belair fucking incredible um in more so in in ways I think in this book than in others I think this this work kind of reminds me of the the work um, the stuff that she did on the the series the massive where there are a lot of very similar color tones but you can still 
tell things apart. Like specifically, there's a lot of orange and brown in this book. And even though that's the case, you definitely don't feel like they all get washed together. Like there is a distinctness that allows the actionable pieces of the panels and pages, you know, those are more distinct than say the background and nothing fades together. I think that takes like a very, very intricate hand in order to make that happen to take two very similar colors but make one stand out a little bit more than the other i'm always impressed by jordy belair's work so i think you know we could just do a whole episode just talking about jordy belair <laughs> or i could at least probably there's a couple of shots in the desert and everything's kind of muted this muted orange and i almost feel dry and warm <laughs> just looking at it oh yeah there it, and I think a lot of that has to do with the character expressions and the way that their like their skin is drawn. You know, you can tell that they're feeling hot, and that almost like if you were immersed in the story, it feels hot to you. Again, Emma Rios's art; she she does such a great job with expressing a lot of different feelings and emotions. And of course, like her drawing of death is probably one of the coolest like deaths I've ever seen. And you know, that's a common character in a million bajillion comics. I really like the way that that character looked throughout the book. Just so ominous and humongous, despite, you know, not being necessarily taller than your average, you know, human, um, still felt like a towering figure in every scene that they were in. If this had to be interpreted as a different medium, because, you know, earlier I was talking about a manga that got adapted to be a film. I was just thinking this would be a terrible film. This wouldn't even really work as a miniseries unless they had like Game of Thrones level money. But then that wouldn't even really work either. This would work as like a symphony or an opera, something where it could be really evocative and artistic and people would suspend their their reality and accept the artistic vision as opposed to something more literal. Like this doesn't feel like something that could be a literal translation to another medium. Yeah, I think I, I, I definitely agree that something that has more, that does more with less would probably do better for this story than, say, a movie, where you want to adapt every little tiny thing. Whereas in the case of like a stage play, you know, or an opera, they would have to do as much as they can with the little amount that's available to them, um, literally because there's not a lot of effects and everything. So it, it could almost work better like a, I don't know, kabuki theater or something like that, you know? I'm just thinking of the, there's so many transformations involving feathers and butterflies and things blowing in the wind and the sunset and the fire and everywhere and mm-hmm. yeah julie like, taylor like could do idea. great things with this stagecraft <laughs> i like the idea of doing something non-visual with it like you mentioned the perfumes mm-hmm. because the main man in the story is blind and he keeps using his other senses to to hear things that are a long ways off or he'd at some point he's like the the water's coming down from the mountains this river that we're next to is going to flood and someone Mm -hmm. else is like i don't see i don't see any water and the next panel is the flood Mm -hmm. (laughs) right so he's a very perceptive character without vision that's a good point i didn't think of that yeah there's i again there's a thousand i would love to hear like like a like an audio interpretation of this you know kind of i i didn't ever listen to that lock and key audiobook that they did but i wonder if something like that could be done with this book to try to push that idea like you were talking about of doing more without a visual sense like this comic book while is incredibly visual um does rely on a lot of non-visual things um to kind of like immerse you into the story that's really interesting i like that a lot 
I guess I I don't know. Final? Do we have any final thoughts on this? I I, I don't. Or is there like another big chunk that we missed? I feel like there we kind of have a consensus on the book. I just think, Mike, that it's interesting that you've said multiple times now that this is not a book you necessarily like, and yet you keep rereading it. So, well, <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like like and I, like I said, I every time I read this, I do pull a little bit more out of it, and I don't know if that i think that makes it a good book i just don't think it's a book that i like i said that i necessarily love or that i like i want to i say i want to keep reading i keep reading it for some reason i don't know i'm really torn on the book because i feel like there should be more solid ground to work from in the story and i feel like it's lacking something i don't know what it is and maybe that's the point. Like, it's supposed to be whimsical and it's supposed to be like a fairy tale. And those types of stories don't have a solid ground to work from, you know? I, I constantly in my head compare it to a book like East of West, which is grounded in such a fucking heavy, overarching mythos that it becomes almost tiring to try to keep track of. And yet, I love that book. This book feels similar to that book, but has no overarching world or explanation for anything. And that is 100% okay. I'm not saying that makes it a bad book. I just think it makes it a book that's not for me. Um, then that doesn't mean that I can't enjoy it for some, in some regard, but it's not a book that I necessarily go, this book, you, I would recommend it to people, you know? And I know other people that totally would. Um, and I think they have their own reasons. I, I, it's kind of a bummer that the three of us weren't like absolutely head over heels for this book um, because I'd love to hear that description. I, I feel bad for Kate Scotchless, who I know loves this book to death. Um, I would love to hear her take on this and, you know, what really drives her to the book. I mean, I mean, take it to Goodreads and take it to Twitter. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'll push Kate to, to give us some feedback because I know I know she loves this book. <laughs> Maybe we'll cover volume two someday and she can be on the show. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, my final thoughts are this is a gorgeous book and if I were a person that had tattoos, I would probably just want all of these all over me. Oh, yeah. I could see that. Yeah. What about you, Kate? Final thoughts? It definitely took a, a second read for me to feel more grounded because mm-hmm. there was a lot. It's Basically, I feel like this book is a giant puzzle that you are meant to put together as you read it, but it's hard to see the big picture when you're reading page to page. So I definitely enjoyed it after giving it a second chance. Cool beans. If you have thoughts out there, listener, about this book, and you didn't already post in the Goodreads group, you should definitely send us a message about it because I'd love to hear what other people think about this book. I think it's it's one of those books that always gets recommended, um, and I never really have a I never really hear reasons why people just say read this book. It's like why they're just like fuck you read it. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, I I've read it three times now. Explain to me why you love it so much. So I'd love to hear that. But I guess we'll we'll wrap up here. We are running out of tape. That's a phrase that I think is so dumb, but I love it. Um, <laughs> you can you can follow us all on Twitter. You can follow Kate at KL Fear on Twitter. You can follow Kara at Karajam. And you can also follow her on Medium at Kara.SZAM, where she writes these amazing wrap-ups of Archie, or the Riverdale series, I should say, which is great. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike Rappin, and you can follow the show at IRCB Podcast, where we retweet stuff and post polls, except for when I forget, and I should just move polls to Sunday, so remember to do it when the show comes out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you can visit us at our Goodreads group. We post weekly threads and book of the month topics, like this one. Or you could visit our website at IRCBPodcast.com. 
rate and subscribe and you can email us at ircb at destroy the that is destroy the cyborg but with a dot before the org <laughs> infinity shred does all the music for the show they're the absolute best xander is a ball of pure golden energy but he also edits the show i want to say thank you to the listeners thank you to kate and care for being on this episode thank you to everyone that commented and posted and read the goodreads book of the month and voted for the poll we just have we have one closing it will be closed as of this show's episode airing and until next time eat your wheaties continue being fantastic have returned huzzah as have i and kate as well i linked you the book in telegram oh thank you i'm so excited to read this (laughs) you should be although i have to say like (laughs) (laughs) yep just the cover alone oh my gosh it's so good it's it's really terrible i have to say in the same series they also did the she-hulk diaries which is legitimately amazing and my first introduction to that character well they also this is the same series of like they also did a black widow book that was supposedly pretty good too or am i thinking of something else that is that's not in the same series like these were specific like she-hulk diaries and rogue touch are specifically romance novels but the black widow book is not it's something separate okay Okay. Are these books comics or are they nope? Narrative. No, they're books. Prose. It's, a, it's oh. prose. Oh man! Oh see, I'm just gonna read the whole book like in a southern drawl. I was walking to work, minding my own business, when I saw James lurking in the shadows. Yep. Of course, at the time, I didn't know it was James. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, Mike! Yes. Could I just here? How about this? I will just do a live reading of this. Like Please I'll read do. a chapter a week on Twitch. Um. <laughs> Every night I left my government subsidized apartment wearing shorts and a t-shirt. It had been a long hot summer. I'll do voices and everything. Oh, man. <laughs> Please make this dream come true. The thing is, yeah, uh, someone's just going to have to pay for Kelly's bar tab while she leaves because I mean, that's the only way she'll let me do it. Aww. Oh, I see. Okay, She-Hulk, the She-Hulk Diaries as well. This is, this is a 260 or 280-page book. Holy smokes. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, I don't know. Should I? I'll, I'll keep this page open and maybe I'll buy it tonight after mm-hmm. the show. Mm-hmm. After the show. <laughs> <laughs> what if your touch could kill? This is, oh my gosh. Yep. Yep. The promo. 20-year-old Anna Marie was just fired for the third time, this time from a bakery. Why can't she hold a job? Well, for starters, she dresses differently. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh my gosh. <laughs> she looks like a goth. She looks like a goth girl to the extreme. Her shock of white hair contrasting with her head to toe black garb. Her face, the only skin she chooses to reveal. Mm-hmm. Oh my lordy. Mm-hmm. This is this is fantastic. Christine Woodward, what have you delivered unto us? You cannot even imagine the ending. I'm just like, letting you know. <laughs> like you you think you can see where it's going, you're wrong. <laughs> What's really <laughs> that's great. What's really awesome about this on Amazon is that it has an even amount, almost twenty percent of votes uh, for every type of star. So one star to five star each have about twenty percent of reviews. So you know what? This is going to be a 
Mm-hmm. This is going to be great. Mm-hmm. Someone's response. <laughs> someone's re- <laughs> review is just yikes. <laughs> Accurate, though. <laughs> this is not rogue. Do not buy this book if you like X-Men. Wow. Well, I love X-Men. That sounds like a challenge for you. Honestly. Exactly. I'm challenged now. <laughs> Mike. Oh, my gosh. All right. All mm-hmm. right. Okay. I need to stop mm-hmm. looking at this because I'm just going to give, I'm just going to dive right into this. I will, I'm going to live read a chapter every Do week it. on this book. Do it. <laughs> this is, this is, I, I'm glad we went down this, this Amazon, Amazon rabbit hole together because I'm reminded of this, the DC icon series that they're starting. Mm-hmm. Um, and my library has the two books that are already out. So I will be reserving Batman, Nightwalker, and Wonder Woman, Warbringer. Like, now. And then Catwoman, Soulstealer is coming out. And I like that all of these authors are women. And I like that Batman is super hot on the Nightwalker cover. Mm -hmm. Like, let's just get that out of the way. See, this is the question that I've always wondered, right? Like, so Batman, to me, is like is like this fatherly figure of like he is the the fear of the night whereas you know like dick tim and uh the other one jason. damien jason that's the other one that i'm thinking of like i always imagine that it's like <laughs> as the batmans go they they rank from earliest to late to to latest in terms of hotness as well like the tim like dick is the hottest and jason is the least hottest like and batman is just batman so I, I've always thought that the Robins were supposed to be the hot ones, I guess is what I'm getting at. I never imagined that Batman was like the hot one. Okay, well, I just linked you guys on Telegram to the Nightwalker, and I just want you to look at this cover before we get started and tell me mm. that this is not like your hottie billionaire dreamboat. Whoa, he's... Ooh, Marie he Lou. Looks, he looks like... <laughs> he looks like Henry Cavill, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> like... Did they cast Superman to be Batman? Way to kill my dream. Yeah. No, this guy's hotter than Henry. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I can agree with that. Anyway. That's a good cover. Right? So here's what I'm saying. Look, Batman YA novel by Marie Lu. And so they've yeah. got this whole like icon series go- going where they're just like, let's have best-selling lady authors write YA novels about DC characters. I'm like, yes, thank you. This is what yeah. I want. I could dig it. Yeah, yeah. We can get back to the show now. Thank you for this interview. Yeah, oh yeah. No, this is the show now. We're just going to be talking about... <laughs> comic book reviews. Not yeah. comics. Books. Based on yeah, comics. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We can go back to the old X-Men novel that I read when I was uh, in high school that I blew my mind. It was about like the rejects of the X-Men Academy, where they were a bunch of X-Men characters that didn't have useful powers. And... Oh. And that's like my favorite thing in the entire world, right? Like, not only are you like the outcast, you're an X-Man, or the, in, the, in the X-Men, but you are the outcast of the outcast. So there was this kid who was one of the main, like, group, one of the main group, and his thing was he was stuck in a wheelchair because he had these monstrous plates all over his body um, that were in, indestructible, but he didn't get super strength and these monstrous plates on his body, so he couldn't carry them around. He didn't have the actual ability to move, so he was stuck in a wheelchair. And of course, it all like comes together, and like all their powers end up being useful because it's a young, it's a young, uh, it's a YA novel. But uh, I just keep wanting to say Young Avengers whenever I see YA. I don't know why, but like ultimately, it was it was such a cool book to like see 
the other side. It wasn't just Cyclops and the gang, you know, saving the day. It was like a bunch of nerds who were kind of in the in the background of all the shots and of you know the main comic books getting their own story. I thought that was really cool. I'll have to find what that book was. I don't remember what the name was. 